0: Hi, I'm Vashika Pelos and welcome to the West Block podcast for Sunday, December 17th. On the show this week, MPs left Ottawa late last week after a fiery few months. The government has taken the most heat on their controversial proposed tax changes for small business owners. We'll ask government House leader Bartas Chaggar if she regrets introducing the changes. Then, heckling in the House, the tone on Parliament Hill reached another high, or low, depending on how you look at it, recently when a Conservative member was removed from the Chamber. Do things need to change? Plus, Jugmeet Singh, the leader of the NDP, failed to lead his party to a win in any of the four federal by-elections last week. We'll ask him what this dismal election showing means for his party and how he plans to turn the ship around. But first, Nearly six months after proposing controversial tax changes aimed at small business owners, the government has backed off on most of them, including income splitting, the details of which were announced late last week. That's when a business owner legitimately spreads income to a family member to lower the overall amount of income tax paid. The proposals themselves generated a ton of backlash, arguably more than the Liberals have faced for anything else in the two years they've been here in Ottawa. And opposition parties say they'll keep hounding the government on the issue because there are still some aspects of the proposals that aren't clear. So, do the Liberals regret how this all played out? Joining me now is Government House Leader and Minister for Small Business, Bartosz Chagger. Thanks so much for being here, Minister. Nice to have you back on the show.
1: Thank you for having me. Happy holidays to you and your family.
0: Uh, I wanted to start off by asking you about the second half of that portfolio, small business, because your government about six months ago introduced three, uh, what ended up being very controversial proposals to change the tax code, generally aimed at people who are small business owners who have incorporated. Uh, You released last week some details about income sprinkling, exactly how that will work, if you had a do-over, would you have introduced those three proposals in the way you did?
1: What I thought was really good was that we actually went to Canadians to have the conversation, to actually consult with Canadians to ensure that we were getting it right. Um, so, And we had said that from the very beginning, that we wanted to make sure the tax system was working for um, our job creators, our small business owners, and that they were reaping the benefits of a fair tax system. And. Um, the after listening to Canadians engaging with Canadians I believe we came to a really good spot so the good news is is all small businesses a hundred percent of them will have a reduction in their taxes um, in January to 10 percent and to nine percent in 2019 and um, and there's parts that we're moving forward with and other parts not and the income sprinkling piece Minister Morneau came out with clarifications and the reasonableness test which is simpler it's easier and Basically, you will file your taxes the year after for the tax year, um, so there's some time. And I would like to reassure small business owners that um, we are here to work with them, for them, because we know their success is our success.
0: You use the word reassure, which I think is interesting because you're right, you did propose make these proposals, then you consulted, and you amended them. You scrapped one, you amended another, you clarified the reasonableness on the income sprinkling. But at the same time, it did generate a huge reaction. And it did make a lot of small business owners feel like your government was targeting them. Do you regret the way that it played out?
1: I would say I'm I'm pleased with the outcome because part of my mandate letter given to me by the Prime Minister was to see a reduction in the small business tax rate to 9%. Um, So I wanted to see uh, the tax system that works for our small businesses, the very people I represent at the cabinet table. We have seen growth in our economy. We have seen confidence in our economy. Our economy is growing faster than any in the G7. And the numbers that came out yesterday, 441,000 jobs created in one year. And those are being created by our small businesses. Those are our job creators. They are the backbone of the economy. So we will always ensure um, that their voices are heard and that the system works for them.
0: Do you feel like that message was lost in the last six months, though?
1: You know, and I would always have to, we all have to remember that Small businesses do many jobs they are small businesses so one person is the marketer as well as the accountant and so forth and sometimes that information is lacking perhaps more information was necessary Uh, perhaps we should have reached out um, to smaller groups before going out with a mass proposal we want Canadians to be represented in the House of Commons we want to hear their voices we are the government that consults we've taken unprecedented levels of consultation um, and so we'll continue to do that but the town hall strategy that we deployed to ensure that we were getting into communities sure did help to make sure that people knew uh, that we want to have a conversation and hear their concerns to ensure that we were getting it right.
0: Okay let me move to the other half of your job which is uh, government house leader. Uh, The number of pieces of legislation, there was an interesting analysis done uh, a few days ago that looked at how much your government has accomplished as far as legislation goes at this point in your mandate versus what the last government was able to accomplish. And I think the number was 61 pieces for the Harper government of legislation compared to 34 uh, for for your government. Is that an
1: issue? For myself, it's really about making sure that the House of Commons is functioning for Canadians. Something we had said in the election was that we will ensure that their voices are heard in the House of Commons. Uh, Canadians did not feel that their voices were always heard under the previous government and that was part of our commitment to say members of parliament will ensure that the voices of Canadians, their constituents is heard. So we've had a lot more debate on legislation. Um, The comparison is always interesting because Prime Minister Harper had two minority governments prior to receiving a majority mandate. Canadians sent us to Ottawa with a majority mandate in 2015. Um, But I would say the quality of our legislation uh, is, I believe, more representative for Canadians. It works for Canadians. Their voices are heard, and we've had more debate. And I'll give you an example. Cannabis legislation, which is Bill um, 48, no, forty-five. Sorry, Cannabis Act. We've had over a hundred. We've had over a hundred and three, I think, speeches in the House of Commons on that legislation to ensure that voices are heard. It went to committee. Committee scrutinized that legislation, um, and they had over a hundred witnesses appear. But now it's in the Senate, and it's just
0: there. So, so how long before you know? How long does it rest there? Is there a fi- Like, is there kind of a fine line between? having a fulsome debate and not actually getting things
1: done? So we've had 37 pieces of legislation receive royal assent. There are currently eight pieces of legislation in the Senate, of which one is a bill referring to. The Senate has a responsibility to also scrutinize legislation to ensure it's good legislation. We want to ensure that we're advancing good legislation and that's why I appreciate working closely with the Senate um, because I do believe that they are important to the democratic process. So you don't have any concerns about like some of the, I mean the the cannabis, uh,
0: the cannabis legislation you mentioned, impaired driving, passenger bill of rights, access to information, it's all in the Senate right now. You have no concerns about any possible delays there.
1: I would I would hope that they would continue working, um, wanting to advance the mandate that Canadians gave us. They know very well that we want to uh, move ahead on these commitments so that we can deliver for Canadians. I'm sure they want the government to deliver for Canadians, but they also have a responsibility to scrutinize legislation. And we have a responsibility as ministers to ensure that senators have their questions answered. There's many credible people in the Senate that have expertise and information, and if they have good questions that will benefit Canadians, we need to make sure that we're providing those answers.
0: Okay, we'll leave it there. Thanks for your time, Minister. Happy holidays.
1: Likewise. There was a lot of heat here. Order. The Honorable
0: Member for Banff Airdrie will come to order or he can go outside or be helped outside. Which would he prefer? Which would he prefer? I asked the Sergeant-at-Arms to remove Mr. Richards. That was the scene from Question Period a few weeks ago when one Conservative member was booted out. Debate on the Hill does get heated at times, but these last couple of months the tone has become more toxic. So what has stirred the passions across the aisle? Joining me now is Conservative House Leader Candace Bergen. Great to have you here. Thanks so Thank much you. for your time. Nice Appreciate to be here. Um, I want to get to what's happening on the Hill and what has happened over the past session in a bit, but I wanted to start off by asking you about the by-elections last week. Uh, the Conservatives lost in three or four of them. What happened?
2: Well, we definitely were disappointed uh, to have lost uh, the the Surrey uh, Mm -hmm. riding. Um, You know, I mean, I think by elections certainly they're important, but as well, sometimes things are going on in Ottawa that people outside of the bubble aren't watching. Uh, I think we're happy with a couple of things. Our percentage definitely did increase right across the country. We're pleased to see that. But we also know we just have to keep working. We want to get our new leader, Andrew Scheer's face, his message, who he is out there. and so we'll keep working hard. But I think when you look at the results, even though we lost, I know we are
0: encouraged by the increases in, in our overall percentage. Were you surprised at all given, uh, given the atmosphere on the Hill and the, the issues that your party has been kind of drilling down on uh, with the Liberals, I think, for example, of the tax issue that has been, you know, very controversial. Mm-hmm. Were you surprised, you mentioned the Ottawa bubble, that it didn't translate to those by-elections? Well, I
2: think it did. And again, I think the fact that our, lost. we lost, <laughs> right. But I do think when you look at, uh, at the results and our the support that we have is not only consistent and solid, but it's growing. And I know the message that we did here at the Doors was, even though people aren't necessarily fully tied into what's going on, we heard a lot of, we don't quite trust the finance minister. You know, the things that he's doing, we're, you know, we're not necessarily certain of what it is. But we don't quite trust what's going on and I think that that's something that the Liberals have to be very careful of and I I, I think that they should be careful not to take that support for granted, uh, that kind of arrogance. Uh, people do start to see through. So we were definitely hearing things like, you know, we want to give them a, the benefit of the doubt but something that they're doing, something the finance minister is
0: doing just just doesn't pass the smell test. They did though still give them the benefit of the doubt. Does it worry you going into, you know, we're halfway through now, in two years we'll have the actual federal election. Does it worry
2: you? Well, I was around in 2013 when we were in majority government and I know how things can change very, very much in two years. So I know what we're gonna continue to do is show Canadians that we're not only a government in waiting but but that they can count on us to have a positive message and we hope that between uh, our our new leader, who he is, what Andrew Scheer stands for, as well as the work that we're all doing in our constituencies and in other ridings, we hope that Canadians will will give us another chance in
0: 2019. Let me ask you about that positive message because things uh, in question period and on the Hill have been pretty testy. Uh, do you think that, that that is the message that's coming across? I mean, someone was, you know, one of your colleagues was actually removed from, uh, from the House of Commons a few weeks ago because of how heated things have got. Do you think a positive message is really being sort of put through?
2: Well, listen. We're dealing with some pretty tough and very serious issues. We have a finance minister who's under investigation by the ethics commissioner for two different reasons. One was for introducing legislation that he could very well have personally benefited from. The other is for selling, uh, and the other one, the other is for not putting his uh, assets in a blind trust. There's issues around that, and we have a minister, a prime minister, who's under investigation. Really serious issues. But I believe that if you look at the way we ask questions the questions that we've asked, it's been in a respectful tone. Now, definitely when the government doesn't answer questions or repeats talking points over and over and over again, That's disrespectful. That's disrespectful to Parliament. It's disrespectful to Canadians. And so certainly sometimes uh, the passion flares and and tempers flare. But I think when you look at what we've been doing overall, whether it's been on uh, the small business tax changes, which we had to be forceful on, we couldn't be quiet and gentle. This was a government that was going to be raising taxes on small businesses, calling them tax cheats. Tax uh, taxpayers, small businesses were being very loud and vocal to us, we had to amplify, amplify that voice. And so we had to be passionate. We, we couldn't hold back. But I do believe that we did it in a respectful way, and it's our job to oppose the government. We can't let them get away
0: with some of the things that they're doing. Do you think that the tone um, has been detrimental at all in the Canadians' image of your party? Do you think it contributes to that at all?
2: Uh, no, I, I don't see that. I mean, we have a... Um, a leader who is uh, a few days ago in the house, there was some joking going on around Christmas. And I mean our leader uh, always has a smile on his face, he has a positive tone, he has a a positive message for Canadians. Uh, I think if anything right now the government, people are asking about this government's uh, ethics, they're asking about their hypocrisy with the tax changes for small businesses when in fact they're sheltering their own uh, income and their own assets. So I'm, I'm happy with the tone. We have very, um, not just smart, but competent, positive people on our front bench. Canadians do see us as a responsible opposition. We're not lighting our hair on fire for, for nothing. We are working with the government. I think you will have seen on different different pieces of legislation where we worked uh, not necessarily in, in opposition. We were critical, we asked questions, but they were able to move some legislation through. But certainly when the government doesn't answer questions, when the government calls our constituents tax cheats, when they're the they specific, ones that are, I, To be fair to them, well, I think that's the
0: impression that they left, no, but they didn't, did not they, they use the word tax well, they
2: actually. yes, they did, absolutely. When they first tabled and introduced and talked about these tax changes in July, they said there are people who are uh, using loopholes and not paying their fair share. But that's different uh, they, than calling someone a cheat. Well, I guess we can go back, and, and if I find the, the words, I'll let you know. But I, I think that they did not only by implying, but I think there was, you know, people are, are cheating the tax system. Obviously, That's coming from Bill Morneau and right. Justin Trudeau, who, by the way,
0: don't have their taxes increased. And understand, there was a lot of controversy over those tax changes, for sure. We have seen them sort of back away. They, they, one of the three they totally got rid of, another one they've amended, sort of watered down, and we're still waiting to find out about the third. Do you think uh, it's at all time to move on? Do you think they listen to what you as the opposition said, what the critics said, they've made the amendments? or is this an issue that you you know you'll continue to Well,
2: on? they have just just a couple of days uh, ago when these these changes are going to be coming into force in 2 weeks they have just start to let small businesses know what these changes are going to entail. They haven't given the whole picture. We absolutely can't stop pushing them. Bottom line is they can't be trusted. We know that they've threatened to take away uh, and and tax people's health care benefits, so uh, any kind of dental health care benefits, they threatened to tax that. We had to force them to back away on that tax increase. We've seen them threaten and they were going to be increasing taxes by taking away credits for People with diabetes. They've now apologized but it's not been clear on that. They've threatened to take away benefits for our military and increase taxes on our men and women in uniform. We have pressured them and so they sort of waffled on that. On this small business tax increase they cannot be trusted. And the bottom line, the reason is because we all know they've done a lot of spending. Spending is out of control and they're trying to find ways to get more revenue. No we cannot back down and no this is not the time. And again, it's because literally we are hearing from the hundreds and thousands from small business owners right across the country whose lives are going to be changed because of what the government has threatened to do to them. And now they don't actually know
0: what the government is planning to do. Okay, we have to leave it there. But thanks for your time and happy holidays to you Thank and your family. You. Merry Christmas. You too. Jagmeet Singh took over as NDP leader in October and has so far decided not to run federally, he says, so he can focus on building his party. But those efforts proved a bit fruitless last week as the NDP failed to win any of the four by-elections in Newfoundland, Ontario, Saskatchewan, and B.C. and even saw their share of the overall vote dip. Is it time for the leader to rethink his strategy? Joining me now from Toronto is NDP leader Jagmeet Singh. Mr. Singh, it's great to have you on the show.
3: Great to be on the show, Vashi.
0: Thanks so much for joining us. In the last uh, five uh, by-elections, I'm sorry, uh, we mentioned a couple of them, your party actually failed to win a seat. In fact, the NDP share of the vote went down. How do you explain that?
3: Well, they weren't seats that we ever um, had a historic strong presence in before, so that's not surprising. Um, I'm, of course, not happy with the results, but at the same time, I'm not surprised by the results. I didn't expect that that the two years that our party was not headed in the right direction could be turned around in, in just two months. So I wasn't surprised, and I'm not discouraged anyway. I know that the work that I'm setting out to do is not a sprint, it's a marathon, and I'm looking forward to it. I'm actually really excited about the challenges, I'm excited about changing the direction of the party, and I'm excited about all the work that we've already started doing, traveling across the country and meeting people, and I'm going to continue to do that.
0: I want to ask you about sort of that marathon in a second, but just to drill down on what you said, when you said the party wasn't going in the right direction for the past two years, what specifically do you mean?
3: I mean, it's pretty clear that we had a lot of momentum going into 2015. We lost a significant number of seats. There was a strong sense of despair. You know, people were in low spirits, low morale. And then we had a leadership review that meant that the leader was now no longer going to continue. That also meant that the party was not in a direction where there was someone at the helm steering the course. And so there's pretty significant, very clear indicia of a party that needed a lot of rebuilding. And I knew that. Getting into the leadership race, we all talked about how we're going to rebuild the party and create excitement for the party so we knew that the task wasn't to walk into a party that was on a high it was to work and and really work hard at rebuilding and re-engaging people and exciting people and i knew that was the work that i had to do
0: so how do you how do you envision the rebuilding process unfolding have you set up certain goalposts for yourself as leader Uh, obviously the election is just two years away
3: Right. Of course, we're, go- we're aiming to-, to form government in 2019. Our, our goal is-, is very clear. That's where we're headed towards. And the steps that we've taken, so one of the things that I've done is brought in uh, a new chief of staff. I'm really excited to have our-, our new chief of staff, a young progressive woman, really talented, starting in January. So Willie Blom will be starting. Uh, the party has brought in a national interim director, uh, Melissa Bruno. I'm really excited about her work and she'll be starting in-, in the new year as well. So we've got two key positions that are going to then impact the way we deliver our message and the way we frame the work that we do and the way that our team starts approaching some of the issues so that's going to be a big thing the other big shift I wanted to make was that as opposition parties we often focus on just opposing and to me that's not enough there's certainly things that we're going to oppose but we need to do more than just opposing we need to propose And beyond just proposing solutions, we need to actually inspire people. So that's going to be the big culture shift that I want to do. I want us as a party to really get people to get excited about what the future can hold for our country, how we can build a better society where no one's left behind, where we have true justice and inclusivity for all.
0: I'm glad you brought up the idea of not just opposing but proposing because I I think a lot of Canadians are wondering, you know, if you do vote for an NDP government in 2019, What's specific, like what is one thing specifically that your government would be doing?
3: Well I've talked a lot about, uh, about the issue of inequality I think inequality is the biggest issue impacting our society so some of the ways for us to tackle inequality are to invest in more universal social programs so we have health care but we need to take the next step to include pharmacare there's far too many Canadians that can't afford the medication that they need we also need to look beyond just including pharmacare to looking at dental care and eye care so we can close the loop in providing full holistic universal health care I've also talked about things like the Paradise Papers the fact that we we have such massive amounts of wealth that are being siphoned out of our country. Our current government doesn't have the will, the conviction or the courage to do anything about it. We're the only ones that know that this is something that Canadians don't accept, that we need to do something about the tax havens, the offshore tax havens that exist, CEO stock options. We need to invest that money into building up a society where we don't see barriers to education. And that's something I've talked about during the campaign leadership. How do we build a society where students don't have to make a choice between going to school and trying to find a job, that they can actually make that decision to go to post-secondary education with a system that's supported where there is free tuition. We need to look at how we can go beyond just words on climate climate change and actually seeing action on climate change to tackle the issue of climate and the environment, not just for the future, but we need to tackle it for today. There's a number of issues we need to do. We need to invest in a just transition. We need to build a, an economy that's sustainable, that's inclusive. We don't see wealth being generated for the few. We need to see wealth generated for everybody uh, so that everyone can enjoy in prosperity, a shared prosperity. So there's lots that we need to do. And I'm excited about presenting these ideas to Canadians and have them uh, have something that they can be hopeful for in the next election.
0: So, how do you pay for those ideas? Are you open to raising taxes, or would you would you propose that the that an NDP government, you know, wouldn't stick by a balanced budget? How do you pay for all that?
3: Well, one of the things that I just talked about, I think, one of the massive ways we can afford that is tackling the offshore. Uh, tax havens that exist. And there's some reports that put the amount of wealth that's being siphoned out of our country that we're losing in terms of missed opportunities to invest in a more just society. They put the figures at around $47 billion per year. That could pay for a lot of the social programs. The current government hasn't even talked but about you have to, sorry, to interrupt, to sir, sorry
0: to interrupt, but you yeah, have to invest a lot about. in the CRA, for example, to even go after that amount of money. So how would you pay for that?
3: Well, I mean, investing in a CRA is going to take an investment. That makes a lot of sense. We also need to change some of the legislation. Some of the changes are just a change of legislation. There's currently accords that we have with international jurisdictions that allow tax havens to exist. We can actually close those loopholes. The CEO stock option, that's a legislative change. It's not going to cost money. It's actually having the will and the conviction to do something about it. So a lot of the changes are actually very easy for us to do if we had the conviction to do it. And we're the only ones. New Democrats are the only ones who really believe that Everyone should be contributing their fair share, and when those who have extreme wealth and are powerful and well-connected should not be getting um, a, a, uh, an excuse not to invest. We should ensure that those who are powerful and well-connected contribute to a better society.
0: But beyond, I guess, just as a final question, beyond investing in, in, in going after international tax havens, would you run a deficit to support all these investments? Would you be open to raising taxes?
3: Well, I, I firmly believe in a progressive tax system to ensure that those who are able to invest their fair share, invest their fair share. During my campaign, I talked about some of the ways we could do that, looking at high income earning or looking at uh, tax around uh, corporate tax rates. I've also talked a lot about, um, in general, when we look at certain things, we look at them as investments. I don't believe that uh, in t- difficult economic times, I'm firmly opposed to austerity. So I don't have a firm line on balanced budgets. I believe that if we are able to, obviously, we need to ensure that we have a rep- robust uh, budget that's balanced, Uh, but there's no way that I would ever accept austerity, so I'm firmly uh, opposed to austerity in in terms of our finances.
0: Okay, thanks very much for your time, Mr. Singh. Happy holidays. Thank you very much. I'm Vashi Capellos. Thanks for listening to the West Block Podcast. For more, go to our website, thewestblock.ca, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and tune in again next week for another West Block Podcast.